I've had adventures too. My whole life doesn't revolve around you, you know. This is the Trap One Podcast. My co-host this week is showrunner of Clara Roswald, The Untold Adventures, Ruth Long. Welcome back, Ruth. Hello, it's great to be back. Um, I'm looking forward to discussing this book with you because uh, it is a real blast. So. It's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> We're talking about um, The Missy Chronicles this week, a collection of six short stories by Kevin Scott, Jacqueline Rayner, Paul Mars, James Goss, Peter Angelides. <laughs> I've never I've written it down. I don't think I've ever said it out loud before. <laughs> do you know do you know what as well? On Twitter, his avatar is a weeping angel. Um, <laughs> with the hands kind of front of the face. So I always kind of read it as Angel Hides. <laughs> but I think it must be kind Amazing. of Angelides um, and Richard Dinnick. But first, um, there's been an exciting announcement recently on the Untold Adventures website. Um, you've revealed the creative team behind the project. Yeah, um, as I was saying to you before we came on, um, yeah, we, we've had the sort of whole writing team together and we've had creative advisors and we've got a few editors as well. Um, but it's really nice in not seeing that because they're really, really talented people. And, you know, I, I'm so proud seeing some of the work going on behind the scenes, like the discussions we've had, um, the sort of creative meetings we've had the ideas are just amazing and I, I'm really really proud of how this team's come together and how it's coming along Excellent I'm really looking forward to reading these So how, how did you enjoy the Mr Chronicles? I guess you liked it Yeah I absolutely loved it um, it was one of the, the few like it takes a lot for me at least for to have prose writing that makes you laugh out loud and this was definitely one of those books it was just hilarious to read um and I, I think that like out of all of the Doctor Who books that I've read um I find the ones uh, the sort of short story collections that are focused on a character like uh, The Legends of a Shielder Legends of River Song and the Missy Chronicles they've got something really good going on here like, I, I, I think I think it's a really effective formula for exploring you know a character in more depth um using those sort of little short story segments and yeah the missy chronicles is definitely one of the funniest books i've read recently yeah i, I agree i think um it gives the characters real life away from the doctor and the, the kind of the main show mm-hmm. um the um the ones i'm probably going to touch on later as well i really enjoyed also the ones you mentioned um and the shakespeare notebooks um, oh, one of I've heard favorites. of that. I haven't read it. Yeah, I, I, I really love that one. Um, it's um, it's a great little kind of collection of kind of adventures in, involving Shakespeare or around Shakespeare. Oh, um, that's cool. How he's been influenced by the Doctor and other characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think they're terrific as well. Uh, and obviously, a uh, similar sort of thing that you're thinking with um, Clara Roswald as well, isn't it? Kind of giving the character beyond like Yeah, well... well the, the thing about the untold adventures is that it, it's more 
it's it's less of an anthology. Like it originally started off as maybe a bit more of an anthology, like these books, um, with lots of self-contained stories. But what we've sort of done is we is kind of evolved into something resembling a televised series of Doctor Who. So it's very the stories are self-contained, um, but there's still like these running character arcs. There's a very heavy emphasis on character development in this series um, compared to something that's a little bit more, you know, purely episodic. Um, so yeah, that's a little teaser for you. <laughs> Brilliant. And it's wide open, isn't it? Because the TV series is very unlikely to go back to Clara now. So what happens between the end of Hellbent and um, her eventually um, ending up with the... Um, Old oh, testimony, the testimony, yeah. yeah in, um, in Twice Upon a Time. Um, there's there's I, an absolute I'm... massive scope. Mm-hmm. I always found that kind of amusing because I thought like testimony must have extracted Clara twice maybe yeah <laughs> so so poor Clara she's just been or maybe they're just like oh you know they extract her and then she's already been extracted for god knows how long yeah I just found that quite funny yeah there's, um, a, there's an update uh, later on for it yeah yeah <laughs> um I, I'm not going to tell you sort of how we managed to you know bridge that um but yeah there's there's a lot of scope for us to explore and and we've definitely uh not to get too sidetracked but we've definitely kind of examined certain things in hellbent um and looked at you know maybe plot threads that can actually develop from that um and i'm really happy with how we've handled that so that's quite exciting um so yeah (laughs) very tantalizing so, <laughs> so um, on to the Missy Chronicles. So, as ever, um, we're going to talk about this book in quite a lot of detail. So, if you are planning to read this, probably wait and listen to this podcast after after you've uh, read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the first story in the collection is Dismemberment by James Goss, mm-hmm. which is set kind um, of immediately from Missy's point of view after. Um, the events of the fall of the Doctor. The Doctor falls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Doctor falls. Sorry. Yeah. Not fall of the Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's kind of the, yeah, kind of fallen into the traditional Doctor Who kind of episode uh, title mm-hmm. structure. There, there's something or there's something. Uh, yeah. So this is um, we find out that the Master and Missy have a tradition of after every regeneration. Actually, it says in the book uh, every time they acquire a new body. Because it covers the times when the master's been a bit of a body snatcher as well as yeah. regenerated. They go, he, he, um, or they go to the Scoundrels Club, which is kind of a traditional gentleman's club in London. Uh, so they can kind of take stock and, and relax and have a drink uh, and kind of gather their wits a bit. I thought this was a really nice idea. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's absolutely ingenious because... Obviously, this particular story not only not only is it such a typically like it's not something you immediately think of, but it kind of makes sense for the master, and um, especially like the way Gosh uses it to play with the whole gender um, change and how you know how they treat Missy differently just because she's a woman, and they they really manage he really manages to play with that in such a clever fun way um in quite a dark way as well like missy really does get some pretty brutal revenge on these yeah. you know club members but yeah it's a really good story definitely it made me wonder how it's going to be addressed with series 11 with the doctor 
um, in terms of uh, if, if the, the character is going to visit you know, societies where um, she'll encounter problems that she wouldn't have done as a, as a male doctor, it, you know, kind of going to throw up new, new challenges for the character, I think. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a bit of a balance to strike there because you don't want to lean too much into that because it's still very much, you know, the doctor taking charge, you know, being the smartest person in the room. And you don't want every single historical to maybe bog down with the exploring that too much. But I definitely think it would be good for the series to go into that and touch on it. Um, and, you know, seeing the doctor kind of experience maybe what some of his companions have had to experience over the years. Um, So that, yeah, that will be fascinating. But obviously in this case with the master, of course she's going to get petty revenge on everyone. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things um, I thought was interesting, just I mentioned the Shakespeare notebooks earlier. It says that the Scoundrels Club was founded by Christopher Marlowe. And there's a story in the Shakespeare notebooks called Master Faustus. Um, so obviously, play on oh. Doctor Faustus, the uh, the Christopher Marlowe play, where it's the Anthony Ainley incarnation of the Master takes Marlowe kind mm-hmm. of out of his time stream the night he's due to die, um, and, and travels with him for a while. Um, and oh, kind of that's off. very clever! Yeah, so I thought it was a nice uh, a nice link between the two, um, and kind of basically offers him this kind of Faustian pact of mm. giving him Shakespeare's life and career and legacy. So it takes him round and shows him the inspiration for a lot of Shakespearean plays oh. um, to kind of try and get him to write them first. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think the fact that the, the club was founded by Christopher Marlowe was a really nice link to a, another BBC Doctor Who book there. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this whole book is full of, just chock full of references um, to the yeah. show itself, the, you know, the television show and the expanded material, which I, I really appreciate. I love sort of little continuity nods like that, as long as they're not, like, forced. Yeah. If they're natural, they, they're really good. The, yeah, hugely, hugely in this book. Um, there's, there's absolutely tons, isn't there? I was finding that kind of every couple of pages. Mm-hmm. And in terms of that, the, the other members of the Scoundrels Club, some of them are, are linked to um, uh, the, the series as well, because you've got uh, Sutcliffe from Thin Ice, I think, is a member. Yeah, I, I didn't know if that was the actual... I'd, I'd have to... I've got the book here, but I'd have to check if that was the exact... the same character or whether just, he, you know, someone in that family. Yeah, it could have been, um, could have been a relative, couldn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, um, I think, doesn't Sutcliffe kind of inherit the... Um, the the creature under the Thames. Yeah, he does because it it there was a it was all about him sort of having, you know, that wealthy family and passing down that um, fortune really. So maybe it's somehow tied to that. Yeah, um, and they also mentioned Lytton from Revelation of the Daleks and Attack of the Cybermen. Um, oh, I didn't catch that. Oh, yeah, fantastic. I think they talk about him leaving some loot there from a from a bank robbery. Um, which was uh, was good Um, and what it made me think of as well is kind of um, then there's a couple of times throughout the book with this is is kind of using Missy as a a mirror of the Doctor Um, because the third Doctor was a member of a a club which you imagine was a bit like this in the Mm -hmm. the 70s stories Um, and then I kind of thought the members of his club probably weren't much worse than this bunch if it was a a gentleman only (laughs) club in the 70s (laughs) They probably weren't uh, a particularly nice bunch of people to hang around with either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it's 
as um as sadistic as her revenge is in that story, you you, you can only feel so bad for them because they're not the best people in the world. No, um. absolutely. Yeah. So um so yeah, we should probably say them. Um, Missy um goes back to the club that she always goes to after she's um after she's kind of acquired a new body, and because she's now in a woman's body, is is turfed out by Mandeville who runs the club. I did. I did quite like the idea of the other masters going there. Actually, I was kind of imagining Anthony Ainley's master, um, kind of popping oh, yeah. after he'd um, taken over Tree Mass's body uh, and leaving Adric <laughs> imprisoned in the TARDIS in that kind of metal web thing. <laughs> um, and all the crispy masters as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. They they were welcome because they were still male. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they talk about it as, as like kind of one, one of the biggest crises the club's ever faced, don't they? A woman's been uh, been allowed in, so they kind mm-hmm. of unceremon- unceremoniously throw her out on the street, and she vows revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like you say, these characters are pretty kind of awful that uh, that she uh, that she then gets the revenge on. Oh, the the, um, the I think it's the first kind of person she gets thrown back on and maybe it's the second but the um the train track scene was absolutely hilarious mainly because i I could spot the political satire in there (laughs) yeah it's it's basically Uh, a character who's basically boris johnson isn't he yeah Um, yeah pretty much it was (laughs) and the way the way she married him and then got run over by a train (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, such, it's one of those things that only Missy could do. Yeah, yeah. His character is kind of a cross between sort of um, Boris Johnson and Richard Branson, isn't he? He's um, yeah. kind of an entrepreneur and a media personality, um, <laughs> but basically talks and looks exactly like Boris Johnson as described. And his, yep. nickname, <laughs> his nickname is even Bobo, where Boris Johnson mm-hmm. gets Bojo. So yeah, kind of imagining Boris Johnson. You don't feel sorry for him getting um, run over on the train tracks at all, um, and yeah, she does it in such a kind of just carefree way. Um, it's it's brilliant. I really all the writers in this book really capture a kind mm-hmm. of capriciousness, the playfulness of, of the character. I think um, the um, yeah, and and stuff like this. It's not like she's some of the other masters would have been kind of cackling and stroking their beard. Mm-hmm. Um, Missy does it brilliantly. She's like doing this kind of fake. Um, blushing bride kind of routine isn't she yeah yeah the thing about missy is that she's so likable and and, uh, like she's one of those characters and i remember um a lot of the cast have said this about michelle gomez as missy i remember jenna coleman said um, when they were filming uh the series nine opener together she said she kept forgetting that she was supposed to like hate missy and even clara did that because missy's just such a like magnetic charismatic character and it's not until she does something really evil that you kind of step back and realize oh yeah this is this is definitely uh you know the doctor's arch nemesis <clears throat> absolutely and like i think you said that in this story because the people she's getting revenge on are, are awful people and you can draw parallels to um, to real life figures, you don't really get that. But mm-hmm. um, And it kind of lulls you into a bit of a, um, a, a sense that she's like the hero of the piece. Um, and it's not until the next story there's a real rug pull at the end of it when you, when you, yeah. you really get that sense of, oh, no, wait, yeah, she's um, she is pretty evil. Um, we also get where she got the name from as well when she decided to call herself Missy in this story. 
Yeah, I absolutely love the way that Goss tied that in because um, uh, for those that haven't read the story, she um, goes back to America during when the, to a plantation on America, and um, uh, one of the slaves there has. Um, got her own plot of land or something but you know she's been separated from her children and um and missy kind of takes her under her wing and says you know takes her to the club um in the future and um you know together they uh, get their own back on all of these club members um and i i think i it i think it is that she gets the name missy from this lady, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, Saffron, um, isn't she? Yeah, Saffron. Um, she, because uh, she talks about the masters and the mistresses um, on the plantation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it kind of makes Missy think of master, mistress, uh, and then Missy yeah. for sure. Um, which I hadn't thought of before, um, which uh, it, it kind of works really well. And it made me think, the one thing we kind of miss with Missy is um, a scene of her choosing her outfit, which you get with the doctors. Um, because she dresses so differently to the master, it might have been um, nice to get a scene where she she chose the the style of dress that she gets. That's a really good point, actually. I didn't think about that because I, I wonder what gave her the Mary Poppins demented Mary Poppins yeah. style <laughs> idea. Um, yeah, that's really interesting, actually. She really plays that up in one of the stories, so uh, maybe yeah. maybe she got the idea from that, or vice versa. Yeah, in in one of the later ones, she does um, she does talk about because um, it's well the final story is, is set during the Doctor Falls, um, and the mm-hmm. Master says to her, you know, why are you dressed kind of like Mary Poppins, and she says something like, "Well, we've always liked kind of children's TV, haven't we?" Which is reference mm-hmm. to kind of watching the Clangers and, and things like that mm-hmm. um, in the Sea Devils. Um, so yeah, you get the revenge on the remaining members of the club um, because she gets Saffron to poison them, mm-hmm. um, and they've got the um, the last remaining manuscript of Love Labors One from the Shakespeare Code episode. Yeah, and they douse the antidote in this manuscript, and they have to each eat a page to be cured, which obviously mm-hmm. utterly destroys it. Um, and they're not really cured at all. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she's very creative. You've got to give her that. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then she takes them all back in time to replace the slaves on the Mandeville plantation in the seventeen hundreds. Uh huh. Um, they uh, they wake up and there's a, a kind of a, a slave master there who says, uh, "Oh yeah, a female pirate just turned up and dropped you all off." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, it, it kind of you can't really you you really do end up kind of siding with Missy on this because she is in a very kind of twisted way the sort of heroic figure of the story um because these these are you know pretty messed up uh prejudiced men that she's kind of given them their just desserts in a in a rather um poetically ironic way I suppose yeah definitely (laughs) And then, and the kind of final fate is for Mandeville, who's turned into kind of a living rug. In the, oh yeah, uh, that's very grim. Yeah, it, it reminded me of the end of the Five Doctors, that kind of living death thing. Like he would be awake and conscious for the whole thing, but unable yeah. to. Yeah. Finally, she meets um, the last member of the club, who's um, who's alive, who's only been referred to as the surgeon up to this point. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. it kind of made me think maybe this is the doctor, um, but it's actually Dr. Scarosa who goes on to found the 3W Institute from uh, Dark Water and Death in Heaven at the end of the series. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really cool little twist. Um, and, and I suppose in terms of the timelines it works because she did the whole, at least the, that's what I believe, is um, the whole uh, starting 3W was quite early for her, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so uh, and and at some, I'm still I'm still curious as, as to what point she decided to visit Clara and give her the doctor's phone number. Um, uh, but yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, that's um, that's an opportunity they resisted, isn't it, to to put that scene in where she's working I in suppose, a phone shop. Yeah, I suppose. Um, actually, was it? Was it this first story? I, I I recall one of the stories. She actually references um, running over a maths teacher with a milk truck, which is obviously a reference to Danny Pink. Um, oh, do you know what? I totally missed that. I think I remember reading that and not getting the reference. I can't remember which story it was in, but I, I think it was yeah. one of the first ones. But because um, because like the kind of whole crux of her plan. Um, with Clara and the whole three W thing, like, she kind of had to bump Danny off for that to happen, for her to, you know, for the doctor to end. It was a very convoluted plan, but that's yeah. the last of for you. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think it's revealed in the TV series that it was her that killed Danny, is it? I don't think she ever actually no. up to it, does she? When they get to the three W Institute, no, they left it vague, and and I'm kind of in two minds about it because on one hand it's kind of more impactful to know that it was just an everyday tragedy yeah. that killed him. But at the same time, it kind of makes sense as well for Missy to have been responsible. Yeah, to kind of jumpstart the doctor's involvement um, by, by doing that, yeah. But the milk float yeah, thing's cause... weird, isn't it? Because milk floats, <laughs> they're pretty slow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it would have been painful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the fun with with these things though isn't it because you can just sort of fill in the gaps and and have your own theories about what happened and why and yeah <laughs> definitely uh so, so the next story we're going to is lords and masters by Kevin scott mm-hmm. um which i thought it was cool the way it starts like like some doctor who stories do at the end of a previous adventure for missy where she's been trying to steal a device of unlimited cosmic power from the zygons but ends up being chased back to a TARDIS by some skeletons. Yeah, I thought that was really fun. It was, and um, and again, it's kind of an insight into Missy's, because we don't really get that um, in the show. Is is Missy's wacky adventures yeah. um, that are completely detached from the Doctor um, wreaking havoc? Um, yeah, I thought that was a really fun way to start. And uh, it was also a very. Um, the, the reference to her having a pet one well, I, I forgot what they were called but, the scarisons um, yeah that she had one when she was yeah, younger yeah. <laughs> she, she had one for a pet and then it later reveals that she barbecued it and ate yeah. it because of course <laughs> she did <laughs> um, but yeah well um, I wondered if that because there's, there's later on um, one of the stories I think um, it might be the one set in Venice she talks about um, she had a daughter. She said something about um, this is why she didn't like a daughter having pets because they get too big. 
Yeah. And I wondered if it was um, the same thing, if it had been like the family skeleton. Oh, yeah. That's a good point, actually, because she also, she mentioned having a daughter in uh, The Witch's Familiar, didn't she? Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where she says three things and she goes, one of them's a lie. Yeah, the, the, I suppose the doctor's like that as well. Like he'll he'll say he'll just blurt out a random anecdote. Yeah, and you're not a hundred percent sure whether he's just kind of saying it, you know, Perfect, yeah. <laughs> just to pull your leg. Yeah, like half human on his mother's side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so this is what I really liked is once she gets back to the TARDIS, she pulls out a list where she's got um, a list of, of kind of powers of, uh, of kind of power sources that she might try and um, steal mm-hmm. next, that will give her kind of unlimited cosmic power. Um, but at this point, her TARDIS engines go dead, um, and her TARDIS is, is boarded by another time lady called Yeyani, mm-hmm. who we learn is a former criminal um, and has a, a condition called abridgment syndrome, which means that she can never regenerate. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating, because... Um... I, is that is that something that's been mentioned before? Is it a, a new thing? I a think it's new. Syndrome? I've never heard of it. I think it just kind of um, ups the ante, doesn't it? That you don't have two um, kind of uh, Gallifreyans on this adventure who you think, well, if you know, if one of them does appear to die, that they'll uh, that they'll come back. Uh, but no, it wasn't I've come across before. I think also um, it's sort of gives Missy another excuse to look down upon yeah. <laughs> someone else. Like, even if you're also a Time Lord, you're still inferior. Yeah, definitely. Um, and this one's got, like, a ton of Gallifreyan references and continuity, which I, I kind of think, reading some of, the, of Cavan Scott's stuff, I think he's really into Gallifreyan law, and in particular the Cartmel Master Plan stuff from the Seventh Doctor era. Um, which is like the stuff that Andrew Cartmel, when he was script editor, series 25 and 26, Ben Aronovich and uh, Mark Platt came up with, where they wanted to reintroduce the mystery to the Doctor's character. So they came up with this mm-hmm. backstory about there being three founders of Time Lord Society. So there was Rassilon, Omega, and the other. Ah, um, uh, yeah. The reason I think Cavan Scott is really into this is because he also was one of the writers on The Lost Dimension, the Titan comics kind of... Uh, multi doctor story I don't know if you read oh, that I haven't read it but that's the one that recently came out isn't it yeah the collection recently came out I think in hardback um, and then it was kind of last year the, the um, they came out week by week or kind of fortnight by fortnight yeah. um, and in that he directly addresses the um, who the other is um, or kind of a, it strongly suggests who the other is um, and you go back to the early days of Time Lord Society and everything. Uh, and then with the the stuff in here about the houses, um, it made me think again, I think he's, he's kind of probably really into the Count My Master Plan because he talks about Yiyani being from the House of Stillhaven. Um, yeah. Where in what was originally kind of mooted as a script for, uh, for the Seventh Doctor, but then Mark Platt wrote as a new adventure. There's Lung Barrow, which is about the Doctor's ancestral home being Lung Barrow. Um, but you only really get it's never been in the TV show properly the the idea of these ancestral houses that Time Lords belong to and stuff Um, yeah it's really interesting I I really like um, yeah you can definitely tell that he's really into his Gallifreyan continuity I really appreciate the um, 
the stuff they included with the general as well. Um, the Ken Bones incarnation, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really nice seeing his character again. Um, and also the detail that um, the Sim Master shoved a load of white point stars down Rasalon's throat. Yeah, so we find, <laughs> out, uh, we find out why the Timothy Dalton version um, of Rasalon regenerated into the Donald Sumter version. <laughs> yeah, it's because the... Uh, the John Sim Master uh, at the end of um, the end of time, or after the end of time, uh, yeah, shoved the white point star down his throat, <laughs> um, and we learned that the um, the sisterhood from Khan had to uh, mix a special potion to heal him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a nice little, another little bit of kind of nice continuity filling there. Um, yeah, it it, um, it bridges kind of the end of time and hell bent quite nicely. Um, because a lot has changed between those two yeah. with Gallifrey. Um, and then kind of more Gallifrey and continuity, you get stuff like the Eye of Harmony, the High Council, the Panopticon, all this kind of stuff's name-checked. Mm-hmm. Um, and the general sends Missy on a mission in a way that um, in the old series they, they used to do for the Doctor, um, particularly kind of the third, third and fourth Doctors would get sent on missions for the Time Lords. So I thought it was another way in which Missy is a is a kind of a mirror to the Doctor in this story. Um, yeah, and I, I kind of got the impression that she was a last, she was either a last yeah. result, or they needed someone with looser morals than the Doctor Fliss. Yeah, that's what that's what Missy assumes, isn't it? Because um, uh, the general system, like the Doctor, is unavailable. But I kind of put this at the time when the Doctor doesn't really know for sure that Gallifrey survived or is back. So I guess that's why they're not they're not contacting the Doctor. Um, but yeah, Missy thinks it's more because it's kind of a, a job too dirty for him because uh, yeah. she gets sent um, on a mission to uh, to a facility that's doing time travel experiments. Yeah, um, and there's a, they're experimenting on some sort of creature as well, aren't they? Um, yeah. That's kind of like its own sort of self-sustaining energy source of time yeah i imagine the way it's described this this creature's kind of in a time bubble and and uh, kind of cycling through um kind of um being a baby to a, an adult to a skeleton and, and and back again i imagined it a bit like the city of death with um the experiments where with the chicken and the egg um that was kind of uh, the imagery it um it kind of evoked for me that it also reminds me of a scene in Harry Potter, actually. Um, in one of the books, I think it's the fifth one, there's this like fish bowl with a bird in it that keeps going from an egg to a bird hatching and then dying and over and over. So oh, it's quite yeah. it's a really evocative image. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that the, the Time Lords are kind of um, back trying to police time travel because that's something you got in the old series. Um, things like the two Doctors where... Um, the second Doctor and Jamie are sent to try and stop the Starry, I think it is, uh, from time travel <laughs> experiments. But having been absent from the universe for a while, there has been a few other time travellers around and like kind of vortex manipulators and things like that seem fairly common. <laughs> um, so it seems like, yeah, if, uh, you know, now that they're back, they're going to try and maintain their monopoly on that technology a bit. Yeah, it seems like they're kind of being torn in two different directions because they want to keep themselves a secret, but at the same time they still want to, you know, exert their control over time and space um, as they've always done. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, so that's quite fascinating. Um, and uh, just a little teaser for you, it's something we are going to touch on in the Untold Adventures, but I won't say any more. Ah, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I think like we were saying before, um, in the first story, you kind of, you're on Mrs. Side because she's kind of um, dealing revenge to such awful people. And then in this story, she's against her will, been sent on this mission that she doesn't really want to do. And there's a couple of scenes with Yayani where she seems quite sympathetic towards her. And then when Yayani's horrified at this this poor creature trapped in this time bubble, she um, she sort of takes her hand, doesn't she, and steadies her. Mm-hmm. Um, and all it like across most of these two stories, you, you're feeling that Missy's not bad. And then the ending is kind of a real. Um, rug pull in the in the sense that you realize that actually no she hasn't changed um it's like that scene i think in the um the magician's apprentice when clara is talking to her in, in i think it's like in, in a square in spain or somewhere like that isn't it and she's yeah. like are, are you good now and she just shoots two passers by just vaporizes them and goes no i'm not good <laughs> i haven't turned good <laughs> yeah and then it really reminded me of that because she um she kills yayani sends the the body back to the general um, mm-hmm. and, and takes this creature to power her own TARDIS so she's no longer reliant on the Eye of Harmony um, yeah. and can't be kind of um, manipulated by the Time Lords anymore. Yeah, it's a really dark twist because you're kind of, like you said, it kind of builds this sympathy and you think, oh, maybe she's actually taken a liking to this woman. Um, and the same with the creature, you think, oh, she's going to free it or, you know, put out its misery or something. Um, and then you were reminded in that kind of ending um, to the story that actually, you know, this is the master and she's still evil as ever. Um, But I I always found that especially fascinating about Missy is that you never quite know, especially as she does eventually have a redemption, you never quite know how sincere, you know, when she is a little bit, uh, maybe not nice, but a little bit more kind of friendly towards certain characters. Yeah. You don't know whether she's plotting to kill them or whether she there is some sincere, I don't know, fondness or something in there. Um, I, I found that um, a bit in the uh, opening to um, Series 9 as well. Like, you kind of got the impression that she kind of, kind of quite like Clara in a kind of you're a nice sort of pet sort of yeah. way um which which for the master is you know almost a compliment um but you know she still tried to kill Clara and put her put her inside a Dalek so yeah. uh but then again that that's also uh, her way of showing affection yeah. so you never know with Missy that's it um and, and the other thing I loved about this and it's in the next story as well is the return of the tissue compression eliminator which hasn't been kind of in the, the TV show in, in the new series at all, I don't think. Um, I don't think so, no. I can't, is it, I think, I'm, I think, I might be wrong, the Trial of a Time Lord might be the last time it was actually used in the TV show. So um, if anyone hasn't seen any of the old ones, this is the, the device that the Master uses, which shrinks the victims down to the size of a doll um, while killing them. So it's kind of, uh, it's kind of, insult to injury in a way isn't it mm. um, yeah it, it's just a really like grim image as well isn't it because in some ways it just makes it makes it even worse because you're you're kind of 
it kind of puts to mind the sort of voodoo image, um, this kind of small, oh, yeah, it's not a lot. It's definitely a very master thing to do. Yeah, just this tiny broken body. That's how it, yeah, it's described sometimes, mm. isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, it's horrible. Um, and in the next story, which is Teddy Sparkles Must Die by Paul Mars, um, that's the fate which uh, happens to the nanny of these three children which uh, means that they, they need a new nanny um, and uh, kind of Missy gets the job at that point, doesn't she? <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> as you say, kind of ties into the, 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 the Mary Poppins kind of look that she's adopted. Yeah, um, that, that story was absolutely ridiculous in a good way. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, I, I can't quite... Oh, no, I remember what Missy's motive was in that. I was I was just going to say I can't quite remember why she was doing that, but I remember now. Um, but, yeah, it's... Um, it, it, she really likes to play up the evil Mary Poppins image. Um, and um, seeing her act play along with the kids especially was really funny to see yeah because i think after the ending of the previous story you're quite scared for these kids right from the off uh one thing one thing it reminded me of was that there's a reading of mary poppins where she's a villain the you know, empire the movie magazine um in 2016 they did their 50 greatest villains and uh, mary poppins came in at number 44 beating dracula and freddy krueger <laughs> Which is kind of a bit weird, um, but the kind of the reasoning goes that she infiltrates the Banks family, um, radicalizes the children against their sensible and hardworking father, um, and then takes them on all these kind of dangerous adventures on rooftops and things like that. The weird thing about that is I kind of I that's strange, um, and uh, I quite like the Empire podcast as well, where the, the kind of the film journalists from that do a podcast every week and they, they review mm-hmm. films and interview directors and things, and they, they did um, a special one about the Fifty Greatest Villains. And they explained that they got 26 actors who play famous villains to vote for their favourite screen villains or movie villains. Um, and one of the actors voted for Mary Poppins. So they, they, they kind of had 10, <laughs> they, they put 10, um, 10 villains down um, where it was weighted. So the one that you put at number one is, um, had the most number of votes, uh, you know, kind of carried the biggest weighting. So one actor put Mary Poppins at number one as their greatest villain of all time. And that actor was Michelle Gomez. Oh my gosh. Um, that, that is a really bizarre coincidence. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, well, she got asked to do that because she was already playing Missy at that time. Um, but yeah, it's, I found it oh. interesting that, that she spotted the villainous potential um, in Mary Poppins, this kind of beloved uh, <laughs> kind of yeah. children's character. Well, I suppose. Um, the, uh, Mary Poppins in general is a character that is very reminiscent of a Time Lord slash the Doctor. You know, she she kind of she's very mysterious, very smart. She's got a, a bag that's bigger on the inside. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's um it's one of those things that when you really think about it, it fits so well. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, it's a really unique but a very sort of fitting take for Missy, I think. Definitely. The other thing it made me think of, and I keep saying this, this idea that, that kind of misses a, a mirror of the Doctor in some of these stories, because um, basically her plan here is she's nanny to these children for a while uh, and then comes back much later on in their lives. Um, and especially in the Moffat era, you see that with the Doctor because he meets um, Amy as a young girl 
the girl in the fireplace, which Stephen Moffat wrote, where he meets Raynette when she's a little girl and then he gets an adult. Um, he manipulates Kazdan as a child to, to um, affect the adult yeah. uh, in A Christmas Carol. So yeah, maybe it was another kind of take on the Doctor's kind of actions, but Missy twisting it for another purpose. I mean, it is a really interesting sort of dark mirror to look at the Doctor and kind of the almost the morality of that. Obviously, Missy is doing it for actively malicious purposes, but the Doctor's kind of, especially with Amy, just dropped into her life and, and you know, really shaped it um, just because of... Um, you know, visiting her as a child, and um, and and in some cases it can really affect. You know, like Amy had a lot of um, struggles afterwards. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily because you know the doctor didn't do anything wrong, but it was that um, idea of waiting for her, her imaginary friend who she knew was real. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, he said she had to go through therapy and everything like that, didn't she, for, for years, because everyone told her the Doctor wasn't real, but she knew yeah. it was, yeah. It's a real fascination of the Moffat era, definitely. Yeah, I wonder if it's kind of influenced by The Time Traveller's Wife, um, which is a book I really enjoyed. Um, I can't think of the author's name off the top of my head. Um, is it Audrey... Audrey Audrey Neffenberger, something like that. I'll look that up and I'll put it in the show notes anyway. Um, <laughs> but that's, um, you've got the character in that who, who um, I think it's called something like chrono displacement and he travels around his own timeline at random, he can't control it. Um, and he meets his future wife when she's a little girl and tells her, oh, you're my wife when we grow up, uh, when you grow up. Um, and then it's a kind of a question of, would she have married him anyway, or does she grow, grow yeah. knowing that she's going to marry this guy? Is that why she marries him? Um, it's a really interesting book. Yeah, it's whether it's it's it was a sort of predetermined event. So does she have any choice ultimately? Um, yeah. Which is a very Doctor Who concept, and they even um, the Time Traveller's Wife book was even in uh, Dark Water, wasn't it? Um, and I think that was a River Song reference, but it was also a you know, just a general, quite a cool little yeah. Easter egg in there. Ah, right, I don't remember that. But, um, yeah, probably. I, I, um, it kind of rings a bell. I think maybe even Stephen Moffat has, has mentioned it as, a, as something he enjoys. Yeah, um, I've, I, I'm pretty sure the whole um, relationship between the Doctor and River has some inspiration there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think... Um, yeah, when it was in Dark Water and Clara was getting all the keys out um, to throw oh, in the right, volcano, yeah. <laughs> one of them is in the Time Traveller's Wife book. So it's quite telling that the Doctor keeps it in there. Yeah, uh, that does ring a bell now, actually, now that you mention that, yeah. Um, so this one, um, I say Missy has arrived to take over as nanny for these children. She's also brought Teddy Sparkles with her, um, who is this teddy bear from the planet uh, Sino 6 who it seems is, is magical and can grant wishes, but actually can manipulate timelines to um, to make things come through for the children. Um, I thought this was a really interesting, weird character. It reminded me a little bit of um, a, a Paul Maher's kind of other creations, Iris, Iris Wildtime, who's another Time Lord, and she's got a companion called Panda, who is a, like a 10-inch <laughs> tall kind of panda toy that can walk and talk. 
I'm not that familiar with those stories. I'm not sure if that. Is no, the, neither am I. Yeah, I kind of looked at, did a little bit of research, but I, I couldn't find out if the, that is the same planet that they're from, or if Panda has the same kind of powers as that. Um, but I think it's got to be an influence uh, or some kind of link between them. Oh yeah, well she is referenced um, not in this story, but um, she is referenced later in this uh, anthology, Iris World Time. But um, yeah, the whole idea behind Teddy Sparkles is so bizarre. But <laughs> it's the only thing. It's it's something you'd only get in Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I because of how he was written in the book, I always I imagined him with the voice of Brian Blessed as well, which just made it even funnier. <laughs> Because um, yeah. it just says he boomed all the time whenever he speaks. Like, he speaks way too loudly and the kids have to keep telling yeah. him to be quiet. Um, but, yeah, it's, of all the characters to sort of have this all-powerful, um, you know, this t- time and space in his hands, of course it would be a teddy bear. Yeah. Um, so at this point we've got um, a reading from this story by Beth Axford from the brilliant Time Ladies blog. Um, so we'll go to that now. The next morning, bright and early, the three children were at their desks in the schoolroom. The door flew open and Missy came in like a waltzing panther, completely ignoring her charges and going straight to the tall windows that looked down onto the park. I do love the spring. Oh look, a little bird. What kind of bird is that, children? The children moved closer as Missy threw open the sash window. Jack began, I think it's a dead bird. Green lightning burst from Missy's cameo brooch and sizzled the songbird on the spot. One second it was sitting on a branch, singing a gay little tune, and the next it was a shower of ashes. It doesn't matter, Missy sighed. I hate birds. Nasty, squeaking things. Like children, really. I hate children as well. Did I warn you about that? Esme shrank back, clutching hold of Peter as the new governess rounded on them. Boop, said Peter, with some consternation. I especially hate nasty, sneaky, awful children who go creeping about in the boudoirs of lovely ladies behind their backs. Esme bit the inside of her cheeks hard to prevent herself squealing with terror. She stared at the killer cameo brooch on the high neck of Missy's sprigged cotton frock. She could frazzle them all to death in an instant. Esme didn't doubt it. You don't scare us, said Jack. You're a monster. My father will hear all about you and the way you behave. We know what you've done. Oh yes, Missy turned away abruptly, picked up a piece of chalk and proceeded to write a whole series of unimaginably rude words on the board. My father will dismiss you from our household. You aren't fit to look after children. Missy turned back and snarled. I'm ten times the woman your previous governess is. Twenty times. A hundred times. Jack gasped. That isn't true. Oh? Missy stuck out her tongue and crossed the room to the cupboard where supplies of exercise books and pencils were usually kept. Look here, then. Missy lifted out a wooden box and opened its lid. The children gasped. Miss Pratt was lying crumpled inside, a mere ten inches tall and quite dead. See, Missy sighed. She's neither use nor ornament now, is she? The silly, stubborn woman. You should be glad you've now got a teacher who can show you things your precious Miss Pratt could never have even dreamed of. A teacher who can unveil all the secrets of the universe to you. Look, pop back and get her in the box, shall I? And then you can go back to your desks and perhaps you'd like to explain to me just what on earth you've done with Teddy Sparkles. (laughs) 
So thank you very much to Beth for that great reading. Um, the Time Ladies blog is, is really good. You should definitely check it out, um, especially Beth's review of this book, actually. The Missy Chronicles is really good. Um, I will put a link in the show notes to that. Are you familiar with the, the Time Ladies blog at all? Yes, I am. Um, yeah, they're fantastic. The, their content is really, really um, thorough and fascinating. And they, they also, I, I do really like the way that they do focus a lot on the female characters in Doctor Who. Um, I think they've just had a post up today on um, the sort of companions that could have been, um, which is really interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, I really love that, their stuff. Um, yeah, I saw them teasing that earlier on today. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Well, I, I really love just kind of the sheer enthusiasm they have for Doctor Who. Um, there's so much kind of negativity, especially online, about yeah. any kind of announcement or anything new that comes along so it's um yeah kind of really refreshingly uh positive about uh, about the show really really like oh that. definitely missy kind of has a few adventures with the with these kids um and then decides to um kind of leave them but before she goes she gets them to uh wish to teddy sparkles for these kind of careers like the head of a global chemical company and the head of the secret service and things like that which they don't really understand um, but they make the wishes and then Missy disappears. Um, and then kind of years go by and, and the, the war, the Second World War and everything happens. And it all kind of just drifts into a distant memory and it might be like just a story they've heard. And they forget about Teddy Sparkles, even though he's still there in the family home. Yeah. Um, and they, they get all these jobs which you don't really want and get married and have kids and everything. And then one Christmas when they're all assembled um, back at the house, Missy turns up again. Um, and kind of demands that they help her take over the world um, and give her a secret base and kind of give her all these chemicals and access to all the intelligence and everything. Um, So, yeah, I thought this was a really nice idea that she just kind of set this off and then travels forward in time uh, to meet the benefits from it. I mean, it it plays out a lot of uh, kind of classic children's literature as well, Um, the sort of wish-granting teddy bear, and then she's almost like a... Um, and, and them sort of forgetting about this mag- their magical adventures when they grow up, um, and then they're sort of Missy is this like almost Rumpelstiltskin kind of character just showing up, you know, um, this kind of trickster, which is obviously clashed with the Mary Poppins persona as well. So it's just this kind of twisted <laughs> children's yeah. story. Um, yeah, yeah that's really fun. Once it's, because um, basically it's Teddy that defeats Miss in the end and, and um, kind of reverses everything and takes them all back to childhood. Uh, that reminded me of the Chronicles of Narnia. I think, is it is it the first one, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, where the children stay in Narnia and actually grow up and become adults and they're kings and queens and then they come back to the real world and revert to children um, and all that, those kind of lives are just lost at that point. Um, that's what this reminded me of because it's it's kind of um, it's an ending where Missy's defeated and everything, but they they lose their children that they've had, and now they're going to live completely different lives. So so they've lost all that. So it's kind of bittersweet, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, it's kind of it. It kind of makes you think about in the line which is more of like, are they still adults in kids' bodies? And like that must. Be- I must mess them up a little bit. Yeah, because um, they've still got all yeah. those memories, haven't they, of having lived like a yeah. kind of basically a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it plays into that 
children's literature, a classical kids fairy tale story, but obviously with that kind of dark uh, missy twist of um, yeah, essentially their their whole lives getting rewritten. Um, yeah, but I, I'm pretty. I think Teddy Sparkle sacrifices himself, but he's they sort of hint that he's still around at the end, don't they? Yeah, and and the one kind of final thing he does to to get rid of Missy and get them out of the children's lives is that um, well, first of all, they go back in time, but he's he's confused what was real with what was in stories. So there's kind of dragons and everything like that, yeah, uh, running amok in London. And the only way to fix it is is for him to to basically die and fade away. <laughs> the one last change that he makes is that everybody in this time it's kind of Edwardian. Uh, London knows who Missy is and thinks that she's this lovable fictional character. Yeah. Um, so she can't stay there because everybody recognises her wherever she goes. Um, so that was kind of a nice way of, of saving the children from any kind of further interference from her as well. Yeah. And again, sort of playing into the Mary Poppins um, yeah. as well. She's a very Mary Poppins-like character that um, the public now perceive her as, isn't she? Mm-hmm. And then the next story is uh, The Liar, the Glitch and the Warzone by Peter Angelides. I'm, I'm just going to go with that. I think that might be... Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's that sounds right. Yeah, it's one of those, I've read that name tons of times. I'd say I follow him on Twitter. I've never really said it out loud until now, and i am <laughs> no idea how it's pronounced. Um, so, yeah, hopefully I'm not getting it horrendously wrong. Uh, so this is a story which seems to be set after... Um, the witch is familiar because um, the Missy has escaped from the Daleks. In the course of which she's she's kind of become tangled up with a Griffon ship, um, kind of in the vortex. They shoot at her, and she, uh, Tardis is damaged, and she arrives in present day Venice, um, where she has to effect repairs to the Tardis. But also by crashing the TARDIS, which is disguised as a, um, a confession in a, in a Catholic church, um, she's created a kind of a time fissure as well, um, which leads back to the 15th century, I think it is. Yeah, I believe so. Um, and she, she kind of gets another kind of de facto companion here in the, in the, the form of Antonia. Um, mm-hmm. Her and her boyfriend are these kind of uh, pickpockets that go around St. Mark's Square and uh, steal purses and things. Um, the boyfriend is Mario. He gets sort of chucked into this time vortex. Um, and Missy realises that she can repower the TARDIS or power up the TARDIS again by just chucking nuns and stuff. <laughs> she just grabs a nun and chucks her into the vortex and it gives her yep. a little bit more power. Um, but to, to really power it up, she's going to need a massive amount. So she... Um, decides to destroy all the flood barriers, flood Venice, um, and all that kind of water rushing through the vortex will power the TARDIS enough that she'll be able to escape. Um, never mind that it'll basically kill everybody <laughs> that's <laughs> left behind. Um, which that's it, part of the course for Missy. Yeah, and it reminded me again a little bit of Logopolis where um, the Doctor decides he's going to flood the TARDIS by landing in the Thames and opening the doors. <laughs> Um, just using like kind of the sheer raw amount of uh, the raw power of water in that way. I've noticed it's quite a recurring theme in Doctor Who Venice stories in general as well. Um, Vampires of Venice—they're trying to flood it. Um, yeah. 
And uh, in the uh, River Song, Legends of River Song, um, she's working for like an architecture company in this sort of recreation of Venice, and of course that gets flooded as well. Yeah. <laughs> there's, um, there's one of the early Eighth Doctor uh, Big Finish audios called The Stones of Venice as well. Um, he's set in the future when Venice is sinking. Similar kind of idea that, that the yeah. water is going to get them in the end. Yeah. And we see the dematerialization circuit makes a return in this as well because Mario uh, sort of steals off the from Missy and it disappears into the past with her. What's great about this story is while she's she's kind of moving between the two different time zones um, and she's got this um, companion who's like you say with Clara she treats a bit like a pet who's just kind of trailing along after her trying to find her mm-hmm. boyfriend. There's a couple of things that happen that uh, you don't really notice at the time so when she finds Mario in the past he's caught the plague um, mm-hmm. And she meets a plague doctor coming the other way on the stairs. And she also meets uh, the female curator of um, the uh, museum or a gallery, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Who yeah. they play a really clever trick uh, with in terms of not really describing her. Yeah, that is a really clever um, twist at the end. Uh, basically... Um, you find out that this woman or this person that Miss keeps running into uh, was the Doctor. Um, so obviously that's a hint at the 13th Doctor. Yeah. Um, but the thing, I, I didn't quite catch on, but when I saw the Plague Doctor, well, when I read about the Plague Doctor, um, I remembered that in The Legends of the Shielder, and actually it was in one of the deleted scenes for the woman who lived in Series 9, um, a Shielder, when she just lost her children, talks to a plague doctor who, the, who was the doctor in disguise. So I kind of thought that might be the doctor, but I didn't quite mm. catch on it would be that specific incarnation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was really clever. <laughs> there's um, there's the in there's the book called Plague City by Jonathan Morris, which is um, one of that last run of of Twelfth Doctor BBC books. Um, and in that, the Doctor ends up um, donning a, a Plague Doctor outfit as well um, for a scene where you don't know that it's him until much later. Uh, so it's become like a bit a little bit of an enemy yeah, for it's the Doctor. Yeah, it's become like a running thing now. <laughs> yeah, he must have his own in the TARDIS. Uh, well, in this one, it's um, that's how you realise at the end. That the doctor uh, has left her office and left his plague doctor thing behind. So yeah, really nice kind of. Uh, that we get the thirteenth doctor, uh, probably the first time in print. Um, yeah, I, mean, t- I suppose technically that's her first canon appearance, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not counting uh, twice upon a time. Yeah, that's uh, so. It's, I guess it's like it's kind of the um, it's the Doctor Who story, but from Missy's point of view. So. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the Doctor's normally kind of trying to figure out what the Master's doing and it's the Master in disguise, it's um, it's spun around there and uh, misses the main character um, where the Doctor's doing all the sly stuff um, that, uh, that just kind of gets found out at the end. Uh, so yeah, I thought this was a great story. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I, I just, it was it's another one of those things that's just so bizarre. Um, uh, like she nicknamed one of the griffins that was attacking Venice Hermione yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just uh, just imagining all of these griffins tearing up Venice and and all of the sort of madness there as well yeah and that's, like, that's again it's a bit like the doctor isn't it kind of giving nicknames um, like um, Zygella and Rusty and that kind of oh, thing oh yeah 
yeah there's definitely there's, there's definitely a lot of connections um and especially in this story with both of the incarnations of the doctor and the master being female as well yeah um it makes me really want to see missy meet the 13th doctor oh yeah i mean i i, I don't really see how that because obviously in the doctor falls missy is dead essentially but the master does have a habit of coming back from the dead so yeah that would be really cool especially in the fifth doctor era like he was dead at the end of every story wasn't he yeah (laughs) um you know even like burning to death in in planet of fire and stuff but uh there's um yeah it doesn't seem to be any barrier to coming back to, to menace the character again uh and then the next story is um girl power by jacqueline rayner what I really liked about this one is the way it's not told in, in just in kind of conventional prose. It's kind of made up of emails and letters and notes and kind of chat room conversations. I thought it was a really oh, yeah. ingenious way of telling it. Yeah, this one, this is definitely one of my favourites. Possibly my favourite in this book. It, it's so creative and um, inventive, but it also, it also it also manages to convey her character development throughout all of that as well yeah. with such a different format and great the way because it's um it's set during a time in the vault um so during series nine uh, sorry ten um the and, and basically the, the kind of the early stuff you get is um where missy is making requests to nardole of stuff she wants in the vault and nardole's leaving these notes or letters on the doctor's desk for approval um and they um jack and Rain really captures the the Nardole and the doc, the Twelfth Doctor's voices just in these little notes as well, mm-hmm. where Nardole is just panicking about everything that, that Miss is asking for, um, and you get that sense that the Doctor is is hoping that that Missy has changed and has grown a bit. Um, so Nardole's going, no, she wants a helmet regulator. That means she's going to do time travel, and the Doctor's like, well, not necessarily. Let's see where she goes with this, um, and she's kind of gathering more and more stuff. Yeah, you've got to feel for Nardo. Yeah. <laughs> um, he just sounds increasingly exasperated as it goes on. And the doctor's being like a, you know, really laid back parent when they're teenage, teenagers misbehaving and wreaking havoc. <laughs> and, um, yeah, um, and I, I love, I love how the different things she orders each week, um, like gets more and more mad yeah. and has more and more consequences <laughs> like the robot chickens yeah <laughs> yeah because they've got this it's kind of like um intergalactic version of amazon delivering everything isn't it that um that, that's coming through and they have trouble because um if not all isn't in they have to leave it with somebody and then they think that um that plants might be the next most intelligent form of life or chickens um so this uh, and she orders um a tiger or a lion <laughs> Um, I think it's a tiger, yeah. Yeah, which they um, they deliver to the chickens, thinking that they're, the, they're like the neighbours to leave yeah. it with. Yeah. Uh, so you get those little bits from like the um, the university newspaper as well of like all these chickens have disappeared. <laughs> uh, so they replace them with the robot ones. Yeah, just really, really witty story. Um, and then as her plan starts to take shape, because she uh, she wants to learn about the history of of Earth first of all to try and figure out why the Doctor likes humans so much. And then she goes, can I have another book that actually got some women in it? Yeah. Uh, and then she goes, can I have one where the women aren't just the wives? 
Um, at which point that she then realizes the way that, that women have been treated throughout history. So um, she decides she wants to do something about it and she forms Madam, which is Mrs. Army for the demotion of all men. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah in terms of um, recruiting all of these female historical figures, um, giving them all like an iPhone or something. Yeah, I'm they, pretty sure. They all get a smartphone sent through time. Um, which yeah. presumably she's, she's um, kind of uh, augmented the way the doctors does with his companions ones so that they work across space and time. Mm. Um, and then um, she starts a chat room so they can make plans together. <laughs> yeah, they all have this sort of group discussion on Facebook, I think yeah. it's called. Yeah, that's it, yeah. and, um, <laughs> and it's hilarious because um, depending on, obviously, some historical women were a bit more... Uh, um, relax about violence and others, shall we say. Yeah. Um, so she told um, Jane Austen to, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> shove it, really, um, which I found amusing because uh, I'm pretty sure Clara wouldn't be very happy about that. No. Um, <laughs> and, um, and Agatha Christie's in there as well from uh, oh, yeah. The Unicorn and the Wasp as well, which was a nice touch. Yeah, and, Agatha, and Missy thought that she... Um, you know, she was like, you're so inventive with how you write these murders. Yeah. And Agatha is like, you know, that's fiction, right? <laughs> <laughs> What's like, the Doctor then joins the group as well um, and kind of uh, gets rid of everybody apart from him. Yeah, he takes over. Um, and then he kind of, you know, re- kind of outlines what Mrs. Plan, is, Mrs. Plan has been to avert the creation of, of Bristol University where the Doctor's working in the vault is so that she'll never be imprisoned. <laughs> Um, but then she says, no, it's, it was because of the treatment of women. And it's left nicely ambiguous there, isn't it? Because this is you know, towards the time when she does change as to whether she was trying to escape or she was actually trying to help people. Yeah, well, we already know at this point that she's made this promise to, you know, be good, quote-unquote. But, um, yeah, it's really nice because you don't know whether she's just... Because um, the Doctor's the one that deduces the, oh, you want to stop the uni from being built, so you'll never be imprisoned here, and so on. Um, but at the same time, it's it's you kind of get the hint that actually there was some sincerity there. Um, so I, I really like how they they do kind of leave that up in the air, but at the same time, you kind of think that she is starting to, you know actually think about other people that aren't herself <laughs> yeah she once the doctor kind of jumps on that she starts to back away from it doesn't she um and say no no it was an evil plan yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah um and that makes sense i guess because she'd never actively admit it even if she was because uh, you know even even in the doctor falls the doctor never knows that she was ultimately siding with him yeah um which is, you know, adds another layer of tragedy to it, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is. Um, it is really sad at the end of that, isn't it? Um, well, the thing about the thing about the um, the Doctor Falls is that, I mean, I mean, the thing about Twice Upon a Time is that technically, other than the soldier, the Doctor is the only character in it. So that does make it even more tragic because, yeah. for example. Um, uh, Bill, the the real Bill, won't know that the Doctor's still alive. 
and um, and Clara won't know that she's been remembered. So it's it it's a very tragic, but at the same time, sort of bittersweet ending, I guess. Yeah. Um, sort of going on a tangent there. Yeah, it's quite it's quite um, a fitting end to the Steve Moffat era because that's the kind of thing you don't ever quite get a really happy ending. Even like with River Song, he saves her but can never really meet her again. Um, it, from that point onwards in her timeline anyway, that's um, that's the last time she sees him. Yeah, I suppose it's sort of, um, as a, as a she would have put it in Hellbent, sad but beautiful. That's kind of his, yeah. <laughs> his sort of ethos with his endings, I think. Yeah, definitely. And then the ending of this book uh, comes with Alit in Underland by Richard Dinnick, uh, which is set during the Doctor Falls, or kind of between World Enough and Time and the Doctor Falls, really, isn't it? It's kind of... Uh, yeah, basically. Between those two stories. I mean, it's, it's kind of set between the Doctor, well, Bill, you know, carrying the Doctor um, to the other floor with the sort of field and the farm, and he's unconscious um, for, for a while, which is where this adventure takes place. And I saw on Twitter Richard Dinnick say, um, and I think this was actually in, in reply to the Time Ladies post-best review of the book, that he intended this as a sequel to The Unwanted Gift of Prophecy, which is an, a story in his book Myths and Legends. Uh, yeah, you... I've read that. That's, um, that's really fascinating. I didn't realise that. Yeah, the story in that is um, The Unwanted Gift of Prophecy. So like this story, The Unwanted Gift of Prophecy, is set during a TV story. Uh, at the end of Series 3, it's Last of the Time Lords and the Sound of Drums. The Doctor's turned the Master's TARDIS into the Paradox Engine, um, and he sends Lucy through time. Um, it, it sounds a bit like the kind of the Time Warrior, that kind of technology where he projects her through time mm-hmm. to meet other incarnations to see if he can borrow their TARDIS because he doesn't have a working TARDIS of his own. Um, and uh, at the end of that story... She's sent forward in time and meets Missy, who gives Lucy the idea and I, and I think the kind of uh, the means to, to go when she goes back mm. to kill the master, um, as she obviously does at the end of that story. Uh, and there's a scene in this one which, if you've read that one, kind of ties them together. Um, but if you haven't, still makes sense within the story as well, which I thought was, was really well done. Yeah, I, I've read that story and I, I didn't pick up on it, actually. Um, yeah, there's a bit in this one where they're talking about women um, uh, who they, so um, like Yantho um, from Utopia uh, and people like that, and they talk about Lucy and, um, and Missy just kind of has a, has a moment of thinking about Lucy and says, and says something, and you think, ah, well, that could be a link to that story. Or it could oh. just be a wistful memory um, you know, of, of when she was the master and was married to Lucy. Oh, yeah, I, I did catch that reference, but I didn't realise it was a reference to that previous story. That's really cool. So the the um, Alit in the title of this is, is the little girl from The Doctor Falls, um, and she tags along with the Master and Missy, who are going to investigate the floor below, the one with the farmstead and everything where Alit lives. Um, so hence the kind of underland uh, reference, because they go through the hole that... Um, the ship made that uh, that brought them all to this floor. So I guess that's kind of like the rabbit hole in uh, in Alice in Wonderland, isn't it? Yeah, and there's also a, um, a Wizard of Oz kind of 
uh, parallel as well because um, they uh, I think the same master hacks one of the uh, uh, top not Cybermen the um, yeah I don't think it was a Mondasian one it was one of the um, the patients isn't it yeah yeah um, one of the ones that you see tied to the scarecrow posts um, and he becomes the sort of scarecrow slash tin man character and they end up walking along a a yellow brick road together yeah yeah, I thought that was um, that was a nice reference Um, and then later on Missy and Alit are in a cupboard um, and it opens out at the back into another area and I thought that was maybe a little Narnia reference Um, yeah definitely in there as well so they're kind of down on this floor, and it's basically just kind of a big automated agricultural area where there aren't any people, or there were people, but there's Cybermen there. And what I really loved about this story, um, because in the, the, the two stories that this is set around, you see the Mondasian Cybermen, the Cyber Cybermen, and, and the most recent version. This has the 80s Cybermen, which uh, felt like uh, it would have been great if they could have got those in in those episodes. So this kind of fills that little gap in the Cyberman's development. Uh, yeah, it's a shame because um, they had they, they have most they had you know the two modern era Cybermen covered, and obviously the Mondasian. So it would have been nice to sort of have. Um, I suppose I suppose we're asking a bit much because they yeah. did have you know. <laughs> Um, it was really cool seeing all the different Cybermen. But, yeah, it, it would have been nice to see um, some from that era as well. Yeah, and it, as soon as they appear, they say, one, one of the Cybermen says something, and the other one goes, excellent. And you immediately know what he's <laughs> going for, that he's going for the 80s ones, uh, and then they're described as such as well. So, um, yeah, it feels like it's something that Richard Dinnick think, oh, it's a shame they didn't get the 80s ones in, so he's managed to mm. work him into this. Um, and it, I thought, like, kind of Teddy Sparkles Must Die, it's got a real kind of fairy tale kind of quality, this one. Like you say, there's all the references to other children's literature. Um, a lot of it's told from Alex's point of view, which gives it that more kind of childlike fairy tale feel as well. Yeah, I was going to say that. Um, with her as a point of view character, obviously, she doesn't really know who these two people are. Um, and um, I, I also think it's quite interesting how Miss. He is portrayed as the much more uh, friendly of the two. Um, the Sim Master is obviously very, um, very nasty to Alit, um, whereas Missy's a lot more kind of looking out for her. And you can tell that that's kind of weaving in her redemption a little bit in there, setting up her decision later, because she's starting to feel uh, sympathy for other people. Um so yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, she's had she's she's come a long way since the children in Teddy Sparkles Must Die, who she was a lot kind of nastier to, and and uh, although she saved them uh, a couple of times, it was very begrudgingly. Yeah, so that that's great. And then seeing more of the Master and Missy together is excellent because uh, they like they, those on two on screen together was superb. Uh, so the the extra scenes we get of those um, and and. Johnson played it very differently in those two episodes as well, didn't he? So there is more of a contrast. I think if you've got that really wacky master from the end of series three, then maybe have been too similar. Uh, to yeah. Better contrast I th- here, I think. I think um, uh, Sim in the series 10 finale, he was kind of drawing a bit more from the earlier master incarnations, kind yeah. of this very classy... Um, 
mastermind kind of figure. Um, whereas, and that, that plays really well off Mitty's more manic um, interpretation. Um, yeah, it, it was nice to see that different take, I think, especially after the end of time where he has this sort of sacrifice moment with the doctor um you can imagine that maybe over the course of being stuck on Gallifrey and and um he sort of uh I don't know if, if matured is the word I'd used but um you know it, he's become a bit more refined <laughs> yeah and and a bit more kind of resentful of the doctor again I suppose maybe fraught for that the fall of the doctor he's at the very end he says I will never stand with the doctor um, but he has done loads of times, so I think um, <laughs> something must have increased his hatred of him, and it it could be sort of the events of uh, of after the end of time. Yeah, the master's nothing if not inconsistent, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in a very consistent way. Uh, but yeah, and and I suppose um, also that that resentment kind of carries on into the earlier incarnation of Missy. Like, at the very beginning, she in in Dark Wars, she says, uh, "You left me for dead," or I'm paraphrasing. Um, so she probably sees uh, what happened in the end of time as a betrayal on the Doctor's part. I, I'm not entirely sure how the Doctor was responsible, but yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sure he found a way to pin the blame on him. Definitely. And then the the other thing I, re- I really liked about this whole book and the way I think it's quite clever is then. Obviously, you know that the events immediately after this are the ones you've seen where the John Sim Master ends up with the lift on his way back to his TARDIS, ready to regenerate, where he regenerates into Missy, um, and then it takes you right back to the beginning of the book with dismemberment. Uh, She's got a really kind of nice circular nature to the whole thing. It, It kind of ends where it begins again. Yeah, I didn't really pick up on that actually. I just not, I didn't really think about it, but of course, yeah, it, he'll he'll go straight from um, the Doctor Falls to probably shortly after this um, uh, this um, gentleman's club. So um, yeah, you, you kind of you, you kind of have to sort of connect that they're the same person and that Missy comes straight after Sim sometimes, at least for me. Um, but I, I think they they played off each other so well in the episode that you could tell they're the same character. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose it's because the whole time travel aspect, you've got to kind of rack your brain a bit to work out what happens when. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting. I, I mean, I'd love another book of these, um, these stories. They've kind of told her tale from the beginning till the end, but there's, there's loads more stories they could uh, they could slot in. Um, I definitely, oh, yeah. definitely love another volume of, of Missy Chronicles. Well, they could they could um, weave in the aforementioned woman in the shop story. Yeah. <laughs> work out why <laughs> she just decided to, you know, work in a shop one day and <laughs> look at Scar and let's give her the phone number. Because um, that, although that was very much a recurring thread, it was never really explained in much detail what Missy's goals were beyond cause chaos through but by pairing the doctor with someone who's very similar to him yeah um, and potentially creating the hybrid um which would uh which would cause havoc yeah yeah so that's uh that's fascinating um yeah but there's so many stories you could tell in between that as well um and she had an adventure, 
she had an adventure with the monks as well, um, which we uh, which is referenced in in one of the monks trilogy, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say um, in the Lie of the Land, she's referenced. She references a lot of different adventures, um, so it would be lovely to see some of those. I think. Definitely, yeah, that'd be great. Hopefully, they'll uh, we'll get another volume at some point. I, I did hear on Twitter that Michelle Gomez might be doing Big Finish, so they might be filling in some gaps with uh, hopefully a Missy range at some point. Ah, brilliant. Oh, I hadn't seen that. Oh, that's definitely one to look out for then. I think she alluded to, I, I'm not 100% sure on this, but she did allude to maybe appearing in one of the River Song sets as well, which would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's that would be a great pairing. Yeah, that's kind of a shame we never saw them on screen together. Um, yeah, because I suppose I suppose River is she's not on the sort of morality scale. She's more on the doctor's side, but she's a little bit more morally ambiguous. Um, so it'd be interesting to see those two play off against each other. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much for joining me today, Ruth. It's been a real pleasure uh, talking about this book with you. Oh, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. No problem at all. Um, hopefully we can get you back on again soon. Where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can find, well, uh, there's the Untold Adventures account, which is um, uh, um, at Clara Oswald TUA. Uh, you can also find um, our website at theuntoldadventures.com. And uh, my personal Twitter is uh, Undiscovered Adventure, so at Undiscovered ADV. That's great. I'll put links to all of those in the show notes as well. Thank you very much to Beth for providing the reading today, um, which was really good. Uh, you can find Beth on Twitter, at AllMyStars, where the O is a zero and the A is a four. Uh, it's on Twitter. And the Time Ladies are at thetimeladies.com. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, next week, I'll be finishing off the Chris Chibnall retrospective with a Power of Three commentary with Keith. Uh, hopefully you can join us. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.